This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. If you missed today's show, we talked about the end of online comments, whether people are going to miss the ability to comment on newspapers, websites about the news of the day and what it says about the state of our social media debate. We also talked to a Calgary entrepreneur behind a vinyl company, a record pressing called Canada Boy Vinyl, and how things have gone in his uh, first couple of years of business in 2016, the, his look at the year ahead. You can listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770 from 930 to 1230, Monday through Friday, or on News talk770.com. Never boring, rarely the same. Always ready to hear from you. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Hi, right, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge. I'm Roger. He's Rob. I'm Kincaid. He's Breckenridge. Merry Christmas to you. We're we're staving off the war on Christmas topic, Rob. It's it's going well so far. Well, we're we're doing our part to hold the line, but the enemy is advancing, yeah. Roger. And the enemy, it looks. You know, I thought we could count on those Sikhs in Regina to join the war on Christmas, but nope, they refused to do it, putting up that Merry Christmas and Happy New Year sign. I know, it's shocking. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine the nerve, <laughs> wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. I wish I was here last week when the guy called, what was his name? Ken? Uh, Ken, yeah, was Ken. Ken? Yeah. When he called and he said that the hotel he was at wore on Christmas because they refused to say Merry Christmas to him when they were celebrating the Christmas party at that hotel. If it really was war on Christmas, guess what Ken wouldn't have been allowed to do at that hotel? Uh, hmm. Have a Christmas party? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, it's funny how this comes up every year. Maybe we'll have to get into that in the podcast that we're going to do later on today. All right. But uh, I'm sure it may come up today. I mentioned it briefly to Bruce this morning and uh, just got a bunch of texts, including, by the way, someone who claimed that at Red Deer College, now if anyone else can shed any light on this, I'd be curious to find out more, that at Red Deer College, an email went out to all staff suggesting, urging, ordering them to say happy holidays. Curious to find out more. Love to know more. Uh, that podcast that Rob mentioned, by the way, available at roroshow.com. That is a website like any other in that it does not have a comment section where you can leave a comment. These things are disappearing. And I kind of get why. I look at the comments on uh, a lot of news stories from, for example, the Calgary Sun. Okay. And uh, you would have the conversation devolve into a shouting match, kind of, between a couple of people who just want to sling mud at entire groups, say things like the liberals do this or the harper cons do this. And uh, then you basically got the Sun newspaper going, do I want my brand associated with it? That's my take on the matter. Right. And I mean, certain websites are certain shutting down uh, comments on certain kinds of articles. Right. At CBC is anything involving aboriginals. And, you know, I think other websites have, have done the same thing at our own website, Newstalk770.com. And we don't have comments on, on the articles. Uh, we have a Facebook page, obviously. And uh, there's often invigorating debates, uh, the Facebook page uh, on certain issues. 
And, and I mean, look, obviously the show itself uh, encourages listener feedback. Now, when I was criticizing, you know, comment uh, sections of newspaper articles, someone texted to say, well, you're going to stop taking phone calls. I don't know that I view that as the same. I mean, that's part of what we do. It's part of providing that platform. But I don't know. Maybe you could look at it a different way and, and, and see a parallel. You're giving average individuals, average citizens, an opportunity to have their say. Yeah, I, I don't see it as a parallel either. Let's get this guy's take on it, though. Russell Smith joins us now, writer, newspaper columnist in the Globe and Mail today with a special piece about uh, these comment sections disappearing. Russell, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. So what, what's your take on this matter? Why are they disappearing? What's the problem? Uh, well, it started two years ago, actually, when two scientific journals, Scientific American and Popular Science, uh, looked into some actual studies about how people respond to the scientific articles published in their newspapers when they're followed by positive or negative comments. And I found that the comments unconsciously influenced how people rated the science in the article. So if the comments were really, really negative, they'd come away with a less trustworthy feeling about the research, even if the research was rock solid in the article. And both of those journals, uh, Popular Science and Scientific American, stopped comments because they thought it was not in the interest of science. It was, it was biasing people. And those science journals, they can say, look, they can say openly, look, we need experts. We need real trained authorities on our issues, and we're really not interested in democracy in science. <laughs> that was, they started it. Other people then followed suit. The uh, CBC, as you mentioned, has stopped comments on any articles involving First Nations because they uh, attracted such hateful and racist comments. Um, the National Post has not eliminated comments, but they have um, made sure that you have to sign in using a Facebook login, so you have to use your real name. So what they've done is eliminated anonymity, which is a big problem. Uh, and the Toronto Star has just announced that they have eliminated the comment sections altogether. Now, there's two reasons for this. One is uh, the principled reason that you guys have been talking about. The reason is that that, that uh, comment section tends to attract people with extreme views, with hateful comments. The level of the conversation is not high. They're easily distracted into uh, digressions. Uh, you know, almost anything I write, whether it's about cubism or postmodernism, ends up with people arguing about whether they like the liberals over the conservatives more. You know, it's really <laughs> it, all all roads lead to that argument, and yeah. it's really boring. Um, and But there's a more practical reason, too, and that is that in order to run these comment sections, you've got to moderate them, you've got to take out the racist and the hateful comments, you've got to pay someone to do that, and most uh, media outlets are outsourcing that job. So they're hiring a company so that somebody sits there all day moderating comments, and the time of serious cutbacks in media, that's just an expense that everyone is eager to lose. So there's a real, there's a practical reason for this as well. And if you then say, oh, you're free to comment in other places, on your own social media, on Twitter, wherever, that's fine. We don't have to moderate that. We're not paying for the space. And it serves as free advertising for our newspaper as well because of the hashtags and the links back to the original article. So that's why I think a journal like the Toronto Star is doing this. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Now, as, as you even note in your, your column today, that uh, the Toronto Star is still accepting letters to the editor, right? So right. Th there's still opportunities for people to have a say, but it, it's, you know, letters to the editor are, are screened, they're policed, they're edited if need be, and uh, there, there's much more control there. As you say, comments sections can be kind of a free-for-all. And most importantly, the big thing about the letters to the editor is you have to verify your identity. So there's yeah. no so there's no anonymity, and you can't get away uh, with, with not taking responsibility for what you say. Now, now, there's a big argument about the value of anonymity on the Internet. I mean, um, 
people have often said anonymity protects the powerless, it protects the marginalized. You know, women are usually uh, frequently come in for terribly crude harassment online if they express any strong opinion and even stalking and violence. So it's it's useful for them to be able to be anonymous and express strong opinions. Same with anyone from any kind of marginalized group. In theory. It should help the powerless. In, in practice, what anonymity helps is the angry old guy who wants to rant about the new world order coming. That's, those, are the, those are the people who, who tend to dominate uh, these sections. So the dream, the democratic dream of the Internet, giving everyone an equal say, hasn't really panned out as everyone expected it would. Well, how do you get it to that democratic dream, though? Is there a way that you can manipulate the, what we do with comment sections right now to try and foster and engender that? I like the idea of having a trackable identity. I think that makes people more responsible. Um, and I also like the idea of a formal letters to the editor section, which is where, uh, which have all existed since the beginnings of newspapers. There's, there's a slightly, just slightly tiny different level of effort required to write a letter to the editor, even if it's online. You got to find. You can't just click on the space below the article. You got to go to another page, click on another link. You got to fill in a form. You got to leave a, a daytime phone number. And just that slight level of effort is going to winnow out 90% of the angry responses because it's going to leave the people who really seriously want to engage and talk reasonably about a serious issue and who are passionate about it. And there's, I mean, and I've, you know, we, we've heard people saying, <laughs> funnily enough, you'd, you'd laugh at this because the comments I got online on this article are more than on any article I've ever written. <laughs> right? so the response to my saying, look, I think this is the way of the future, maybe they're not going to be any more comment sections in newspapers, has, has provoked an avalanche of comments. Now, I should add that the Global Mail has not changed their comment section, and I have, I'm not privy to their upper-level decision, so I don't know if they've got any plans to, but so for, for the time being, uh, our comment sections are still exactly as they were. Um, but but the extremism of the reaction to the trend that I was talking about really illustrated one, my point. One person wrote, this is the end of free speech in Canada. <laughs> really? Really? Do you think at this time when anyone can express anything on almost any platform, <laughs> including, including just on your phone, broadcasting to the world in the grocery lineup, do you really think we're living in a time of limiting free speech? Quite the opposite. We're living in a time where it is impossible to limit any kind of speech. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 472, Chinese, by really the way. Hard time with it. <laughs> 472 comments uh, and counting on, on that article. So yeah. it's getting a lot of response. Now, it's, it's interesting because I write a, a column each week for the Calgary Herald, and I, I rarely, if ever, look at the comments. Now, I'll get emails yeah. from people or people will respond to me on Twitter, and and I read those. I don't exactly. know. Do you tend to yeah. read the, the comments when, when you write a piece? It's a, it's, a, it's a standard line among writers, isn't it? We all write to each other in our private correspondence in capital letters, never read the comments right. because yeah. it's too upsetting. People immediately start, if they disagree, they start insulting you personally. The level of debate tails off. And so that's kind of a joke among writers. If someone takes the trouble to find your personal email address and write you a note, it's generally much more reasonable. And that's the kind of person, as you say, that's the kind of person you want to be able to interact with. Uh, that They're looking for actual genuine communication with somebody, uh, not just a rant. One of the other problems I see with, with just the nature of the comment section is that it exists as a, a commentary on the piece, but the piece exists not in a vacuum. It, it's been mold, formed and molded by various opinions that have been collected from a variety of other things. So the piece is nuanced. The comment section simply isn't. <laughs> That's right. I mean, as, as reporters, we're supposed to back up 
our arguments with interviews, with quotations from people, with statistics, with sources, uh, and we try to do that. And nobody in any comment section is obliged to do that. I mean, I often find it's like sometimes in a comment section, you you can see a debate, a civil debate going on between people, and then suddenly someone will stand in the middle of them and start screaming. And it's as if somebody has overheard two people talking on the bus, and this stranger behind them barges in and starts screaming. Now, I know that's the democratic promise of the Internet that everyone thinks the thought for, for many years would be tremendously exciting. And it turns out it's more like riding the bus with a bunch of strangers than the civilized town hall we kind of expected. Well, it's interesting. And even just reading the comments on your article on the Globe and Mail website, I see one near the top where someone says, I like reading the comments. Now I don't go to the Star or the Toronto Sun website. These 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 businesses are all businesses, right? I mean, the Toronto yeah. Star wants people to come to their website, wants people to read their articles. If they felt that this was going to turn away readers, they, they might not do it. But um, do, do you think that these, these uh, websites, these newspapers are anticipating that They'll pay a price for this or that, that people just don't care anymore. You know, it's funny. I asked myself that question, too, because I was surprised to read that comment because it's something I'd never thought of. It had never occurred to me that people might read newspaper articles for the comments, just because maybe I live in a privileged bubble and because I don't. And perhaps that possibility hasn't occurred to senior management at a newspaper like the Star. But I, I imagine they have people doing research on that and finding, no, the vast majority of people read media articles to be informed, and they probably don't have a lot of time to spend on the comment section. Uh, so, so my guess is they're not going to suffer from this at all. And as I said, the conversation is going to continue. It's going to continue on other platforms, other social media, linking back to the original article. It's just that the Toronto Star is not going to have to pay for it. There's just evolution or devolution, I guess, or de-evolution. I don't know. You guys are the wordsmiths, not me. Um, where, where, you know, some half a century ago, we've got Sir Winston Churchill says to a woman, yes, but in the morning I will be sober and you will still be ugly. And now it's 2015 and one guy wants to be the president. He says his opponent got schlonged. Like, we're not getting better. And I wonder if these comment sections just sort of contribute to this devolution. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly makes you despair uh, for the, to, to spend too long on any kind of comment section thread on any kind of digital medium. It does make you despair a bit uh, for the nature of humanity. You know, as I said in my piece, we thought um, uh, democracy was a good idea because we thought people uh, were really intelligent, but comment sections tend to suggest that they're just really angry and uh, impulsive and emotional, and it's a depressing thing. But I think the kind of person who spends a lot of time writing angry comments is not representative of a readership at large. That's why I don't think that newspapers are going to suffer um, from the lack of this this tiny percentage of people who say they're really excited by this. Uh, most people don't care enough to participate in debates on, with strangers on the Internet. You know, you can never win a debate on the internet, can you, with no. a stranger? How does one win it? I don't, I don't see how what feeling of satisfaction can come up. And you think newspaper com- online sit- comment sections are bad, boy, go to YouTube, um, where, where it really feels that you're in a 
hit with a bunch of grunting Neanderthals um, and and that there's no future for the human race at all. Uh, I mean, boy, the Toronto Star is a model of of civilization compared uh, to, to to visual media uh, online comments. Uh, I, are we are we devolving as a race? No, I don't think so. I think that we are reading and writing because of the internet more than ever before in history. We're probably more literate now as a race than ever before in history because every teenager is learning to type with her thumbs from the age of seven and uh, and we're we're probably consuming more text in our day now than ever before and the the, the explosion of freedom in publishing blogs are free uh, uh, any kind of online community is free to participate in does encourage more self-expression than ever before uh, we're just trying to figure out a way uh, we're, we're trying to figure out a way to control it and refine it and contain it, exactly the way we had to figure out with democracy itself. I mean, we regulate voting, don't we? We regulate the age of the person who can vote, the citizenship of the person who can vote. doesn't mean it's less democratic. It just means that we're refining it. Well, people can read your piece at theglobeandmail.com, and they can comment if they want. Or they, can, so. they can read the comments, too, Russell. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks. We appreciate it's been a that. a pleasure. Nice All talking right. to you. Take care. There you go, Russell Smith, uh, writer and newspaper columnist. Uh, his piece at the Globe and Mail today on uh, saying goodbye to the online comments section as you know it. And even at the Globe and Mail, uh, I'm assuming Schmingus, for example, is not a real name. Well, there is still a, uh, you don't know that. <laughs> it appears as though there is still some, some anonymity. Uh, at the Globe and Mail website. I, I wonder, though, d- does that change what people say? I've noticed, you know, in the furor of some of what's been going on around social media comments about uh, our premier, that a lot of people are, are using their real names, using their Facebook profiles, and still saying insane things. So I don't know that that eliminates it altogether. I think that, that keeps some people in line, if you can't hide behind a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. I wonder if uh, that's Charlie Schmingus, the great uh, jazz bass player. That you're talking about. Oh, maybe. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Let's take a break here. 974-8255 is our number. We'd like to know what you think about this. This disappearance of uh, comment sections on newspapers, is that a good thing? Or uh, does it sort of take away from the debate? Do you think that that added something meaningful to the public discourse? What are your thoughts? 974-8255. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Maybe this Christmas will mean something more. Maybe this year... Love will appear deeper than ever before. Is that, is that a Christmas song? And maybe what is this? Kind of a cynical. <laughs> and maybe this year. It's just because he's singing it very nicely that it doesn't sound. It sounds very sad, very despondent. I don't know. I don't like that. Get that off. <laughs> Look at the power. The power I wield. So many really good Christmas songs. And and we get like the Leroy the Redneck Reindeer twice yesterday. Uh, we're talking about these comment sections on newspapers that, that are disappearing. We just got off the phone with uh, Russell Smith, who's a writer, newspaper columnist, got a piece uh, special to the Globe and Mail today about uh, many of the reasons why they're disappearing and sort of some of the byproducts of these comment sections on newspaper websites. One of the problems, by the way, that he pointed out was it cost money to moderate and, you know, in a world of media cutbacks, you know, shaving, uh, shaving costs. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, look, on our website, there's there's no comment sections. When we post articles or blog posts, that that's it. That's all you get. You read it and think about it and, <laughs> and go to the next one. But obviously, then we link to stuff on our Facebook page, and there's opportunity, lots of opportunity on Facebook to to comment. But still, when people are commenting on your own Facebook page, 
there's still an expectation that you stay on top of that. And you really want comments in your own Facebook page comment section where people are using profanity or, or making threats or this kind of stuff. So there, there's still a need to, to go in and, and police the Facebook comments and go in as, as administrators and delete comments or block certain comments or block certain people. So it's still got to be policed. So I think even what we've done here, we've just kind of moved it, essentially. I remember years ago with our website, uh, and it used to have to be if we put up a blog post, uh, then we were the ones responsible for going in and approving each comment. So you'd get these notifications via email that there's a comment there waiting to be approved, and it just got so onerous because on some posts, depending what the subject was, it'd be hundreds. Mm-hmm. There was just it was impossible to stay on top of it, and you know, and I think it was frustrating to people because they'd have to wait for their comment to be approved, and so it wouldn't be seen until it was. And I, I think for people who like having the back and forth with other commenters, there was no flow to it at all because it was all in the hands of whoever got around to approving those comments, which was each of us. There's a guy who always comments on our Facebook page. He's like, uh, oh, slow news day, or we got nothing better to talk about. But, <laughs> I I, but, but then I'm like, you're on Facebook, though. Like, what is what is it that being on Facebook for you is, like, ultra-productive and you're... Change in the world. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, hey, Bill, thanks for the call. Hey, uh, I think newspapers, uh, especially newspapers, uh, get rid of their comment section on their online stuff at their own peril. Um, there was a time uh, I used to write a column for a newspaper, and we had an unmoderated comment section. And I used to go into that, and I was I had no fear of going toe-to-toe with people who wanted to criticize but it was, you know, force them to back up their criticisms, uh, and at the same time, I I, I comment on various uh, comment boards, and I've seen how it goes so fast. Oh yeah. But you know, uh, there's also lots of us out there who who hold journalists to task by saying, here's the factual mistakes in your article. Uh, you know, you didn't do your research very well. It it I had an epiphany one day when a a blogger pointed out how many times have you picked up a newspaper, read an article, and found it was chock full. It was it was about something that you had some expertise in, and found it to be chock full of mistakes, genuine factual mistakes. Yeah, you're, you're, and then you're, yeah, you're making the a good page, point. And then turned the page and read another article about something you know very little about and don't know how many mistakes are in it. And the comments page can be a great uh, leavener for that, where, where people who do know their stuff can go in there and take down some of the the factual mistakes that reporters make. And they make well, a lot well, of now hang, hang on a second, though, Bill, because I, yeah. I, you, you got me right up uh, to the point where the comment section is good for that. I mean, I agree with you. Journalists will make mistakes. Yeah. And then, the, oddly, when a journalist makes a mistake or a newspaper publishes uh, something that's factually inaccurate, it's like a small blurb the next day that's in the corrections that few people read. Um, but, you know... You, may, you you point out that maybe maybe I write a piece and I don't know what I'm talking about and it gets published in the paper. Well, the commenters 
who come on anonymously, that's not the remedy for that. Somebody named, like, you know, Jerky Jerk 92 says, yeah. oh no, Roger's wrong. How are you supposed to trust that guy? He won't even put his name behind it. So I don't know that the comment section is the remedy for that. I think that the courts are the remedy for that. And certainly in instances of blatant plagiarism, like we saw with the New York Times, or there was a, uh, there's another one that, that slips my mind right now, where the remedy for that is, uh, uh, complete, uh, like, a uh, strong diminishment of integrity of the product, uh, well, plummeting sales that. and lawsuits, right? Yeah, I use my own name when I, when I go in the comments. You are rare. I'm not anonymous. So. Very rare. Yeah, well, it is rare. It's extremely rare. But then there's nothing to prove that you're using your real name. Somebody could be posting no. using your name. If somebody genuinely calls me out, uh, on something and, and accuses me of being someone else, I'll lead him to me. I have no qualms about that. Right. Yeah. Meet me in a coffee shop. Hey, thanks right. for the call, Bill. Bill. Good phone call. Appreciate that. And now, look, take for example, though, I mean, the Toronto Star, they've decided no more online comments. Uh, but at the same time, the Toronto Star is on Twitter. The Toronto Star posts links to all its articles on Twitter. And you can go to the Toronto Star Twitter page, and if you click on each individual tweet, you see below the people responding to it. So you can see the comments. People are posting comments on Twitter. Whatever people are saying on Twitter, it's out of the control of the, the Toronto Star. And so they don't have to worry about policing it. And, and so on some of them, you can see where there's a few, where someone's responded, someone else responding to that, someone else responding. So when you go to the Toronto Star Twitter feed, you don't automatically see all those comments. But if you click on each individual tweet, people are responding. And if someone's going to call up the Toronto Star and say, you know, you guys, that, that article's factually wrong, and, and here's why. A, the Toronto Star is going to see that, and, and B, everyone who clicks on, on the tweet is going to see it, too. Speaking of Twitter, awesome segue. We're going to talk about this practice of tweeting police check stops. Cops want you to stop it. There's a few more questions around that, and we're going to ask them those questions to Paul Stacy from the Calgary Police Service when we come back from the news to 1030. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. It's the number to call to talk. You know it. 974-8255. Roger Kincaid. Rob Breckenridge. Morning Talk for Calgary on News Talk 770. Hey, welcome back. Last half hour of the program. Just want to remind you once again that Santa Claus will be uh, in studio with us tomorrow. You're wondering, hey, how is that even possible? And I'm telling you something. He's an awesome guy. Not only is he generous with the presence, he's generous with his time. He wants to talk to the good kids and the kids who might be wondering if they're on the naughty list. He's going to come here, too, yeah. right? Um, you know, we have people all the time who say, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I can uh, squeeze in that interview. I mean, he could call, right? He could have just been like, well, I'll call you guys. Maybe I'll Skype you from the North Pole. I'm busy, and we would probably understand. But um, he's saying, no, no, no. I'll be there. Now, this question has been emailed and it gets asked a lot can i come down and meet santa claus since he's going to be in the studio i have to tell you something he's so busy but he's given us an hour and a half and then gone so there's no like meeting like you can't you can phone santa claus you can't come down here and it would just meet guess. santa claus it would get crazy yeah and by the way you can't even see him because magic right so he's I'll gone so you just have to trust us. Maybe if you're flying over our station tomorrow, you can look down and you might see the reindeer and the sleigh on the roof. But other than that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be it's such a fun day. So starting at 11 tomorrow, 974-8255, have the kids call. They get to talk to Santa Claus live on the Kincaid and Breckenridge show. Now, let's uh, let's uh, talk about this uh, this business that we're kind of 
keen on here. It happens to be a record uh, producing company called Canada Boy Vinyl. And way back when they were getting cracking, we had Dean Reed on the program, and Dean joins us once again. Uh, Dina, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad, boys. How are you doing? Good. Real good. Yeah, we're gearing up for Christmas, and you're gearing up for a big 2016, apparently. Wow, I just heard about the Santa Claus news. That's amazing. Hey, do you have kids? Pulling in the cameo for you guys. <laughs> do you have any little ones, Dean? Uh, no, they're actually 22 and 20. <laughs> well, they can still call. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, no, I'm pretty jacked today, guys. I'm actually working from home, which rarely ever happens. I got the uh, turkey brining for the big Christmas feast, um, bouncing off the walls like a ping pong ball. My wife came home yesterday with some really weird old Sunday's records, uh, like reissues, you know, like Dick Dale and the Tornadoes kind of thing. Wow. So I'm like getting jacked on coffee and surf music at the moment. <laughs> wow. Amazing. So how long has it been since you, you started the, the company? Well, for me, the whole saga began in August 2013. Oh my God, so where am I at here? 27, 28 months or something? Uh-huh. That's how long it took to sort of, you know, come up with the idea and then put it all together and get the gear and go to England and grab it and bring it back and modify the shop and, oh my God. Yeah, that, that's the part that surprises me. Like, you, you had to source out these, I guess, unused machines or were, were or did you go and kind of buy out the parts of producing record factories? Well, it's kind of like, it was basically like a record pressing plant uh, that was, you know, open for business in England, but for whatever reason, the guy decided he was just going to sell off all the parts and pieces, so it was a pretty big score that happened all at once, so I got the majority of what I needed on that one purchase, and then over the past two years, we've just been scouring the planet looking to get our hands on anything related to pressing records and trying to get it and bring it to Calgary. So how, how big is your shop now? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine this, right? Because Dean, I've got a, a like a woodworking shop in my garage, so I know how big a table saw is and a drill press and stuff. But yeah. how, how big are these things? Okay, well, the shop's kind of busted up into little areas. Uh, the main floor, sort of where the production line is, where the record pressing machines are and our cutting lathe and whatnot, you're looking at about 3,000 square feet. Uh, right up above that is sort of the headquarters for Hustle Pleasant Thoughts and Canada Boy Vinyl, where all the office spaces are. And we've got our fully analog recording studio upstairs. It's called Magnetic North. Wow. And then our plating department is sort of in the building. Well, it's in the same building, but it's in the bay right next door. And we've got 2,000 square feet there. So I think we're probably about 6,500 square feet right now. Wow. And busting at the seams, man. Like, we are just <laughs> fighting for every square foot that we can get our hands on right now. So beyond even your own expectations? Well, I mean, I, you know, I knew back then, I was like, okay, well, this vinyl is definitely going to be a goer. It's a really good foundation to build off. But even I didn't think it was going to get that crazy. Like, over something over the past year, things have really escalated. Well, yeah, I mean, there was talk when, when we talked to you last time, and, and, I mean, there were people on both sides, right, going, how cool is this? He's reviving, you know, a vinyl blast from the past sort of thing. And then... Uh, there was other people going, how's this guy supposed to run an analog business in the digital world? But what's the demand been like for your product? Pretty hot, man. And I mean, you know, it's not just for Canada, boy. Um, as the time's going by, I'm starting to make sort of connections and allies with a lot of the pressing plants down in the U.S. And it's pretty cool. Like, you know, you'd think it'd be like the super competitive kind of a market. But uh, right now, there's just so much, you know, work for everybody that um, generally speaking, uh, most of the owners that I've been talking to were all kind of like, hey, why don't we try and help each other out for the greater good of vinyl for everybody? Uh, just in terms of like 
maybe swapping parts or getting some pro tips or, you know, just learning things that you didn't know before. Uh, so there's this really cool sort of a vinyl, um, I don't know what to call it, like an alliance that's happening. Yeah. yeah. And it's all these like-minded mm-hmm. people that just love vinyl and want to be able to make sure that it'll stick around for years and years to come. So there's like a really big movement happening like that. So where, where's the business coming from that? Where, where is the business coming from? Like who's, who are your clients? Where, yeah, where's it coming from geographically? Is this from, from all over the place? Where, okay, where's yeah. it all coming from? Right now we're doing, um, you know, we're doing pressings for, you know, like local bands, uh, indie bands, uh, small labels, medium-sized labels, all the way up to the majors. Uh, I've got a couple of pretty big brokers, uh, so we're already starting to um, do some stuff for in the U.S. market. So pretty much like the whole spectrum and coast to coast, right? Uh, and we're trying to like get into the East Coast a little bit more, but it seems to be hard to make connections there right now. Um, but they're they're starting to come in. So yeah, kind of everywhere. And how does the how does the process work? Like I'm about to ask you a question, which in my mind seems like one of the dumbest ones I've ever pondered. But can I send you an MP3 and you could put it on vinyl? Is that how it works? Pretty much. Really? Wow. Um, MP3. I mean, that's close. I mean, WAV files are usually the best for us, and because it is 2015, going on 16. I mean, 98 percent of the files that we get from the bands are still digital files, and you just simply take that file and put it into a, a converter that converts a digital signal into an analog signal, and then that signal goes into our cutting lathes because the lathe only understands analog. And that's pretty much just as easy as that. You right. just make the switch. But if we did it, if we recorded, say, Baby It's Cold Outside live at, at Magnetic North in your studio there, then it would be analog start to finish? Totally. Cool. And that's what we're striving for, and we've been pushing for that since the beginning. Um, we just have one small piece of the puzzle that needs to fall into place, and that's our analog mastering suite. And it's so close. I think we got about another 10 hours in on this thing, and then we can actually have a complete analog experience, man, right from start to finish. Now, as part of then your business, are, are you trying to make the case to, to bands, for example, that, look, you guys are selling your stuff online, you got some CDs that you sell at your show, but here's why you guys should, should press some vinyl and get that out there. Are you the one making that case? Well, I don't really have to so much. I mean... You know, when I look at the numbers or whatever, if you're in a band, and I mean, we're really bending over backwards to make sure we can take care of the little guy. It's been a part of our business model right from the get-go. Because on the streets in Canada, you know, Canadian bands aren't looking to get 5,000 records done, you know, or even 500 for that matter. They're never going to get rid of them, right? So we're trying to do a lot of short-run stuff, 100, 200, 300. Uh, and even around the 300-run mark, if you go with a regular sort of a 12-inch record with a full-color jacket... It's kind of like the most normalist order that we have. You're looking at six, maybe to eight dollars um, all in per record. Like that's your price per unit cost. So to me, those bands can take those and sell them at their shows easy for twenty bucks. So you know they can make fourteen, I don't know, twelve, fourteen bucks off of every unit. I don't even know if there's good margins like that in CDs. We, I don't really know a lot about the CD market, to be honest with you. Right, but um, but that's really what's driving it, right? I mean, if you're saying these bands can sell that easy at their shows, I mean, it is something about the analog. Uh, like, it's it's kind of, uh, do you feel like this latches onto the trend of, like, Instagram or Hipstamatic or the fact that, uh, you know, people, they, they want to take digital pictures, but they want them to look old? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you're saying. I mean, this is just my opinion. You know, I think maybe sort of, 
there's kind of a movement out there where I believe that people just want to have something real. They just want to have a real experience. And especially with the records, there's a certain amount of like sort of treasure hunting involved. Um, my wife just bought me a copy of Tool 10,000 Days. Okay, I've been looking for that record for like three years. And when she brought it home, I'm like, oh my God, now I have that record. Like, it's just the most amazing thing to have it in your collection. Where if I go onto iTunes and I download 10,000 Days by Tool, what do I care? It just goes into my iPod and it's just yet another one of the bazillion files, right? Mm -hmm. So there's just something more real about it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's just a, that tangible thing. And I. I think a lot of people are craving that, and, and there's some sort of resurgence in people would rather pay a little bit more money to have a product that was built by a human that's got some love in it than, say, some knockoff piece that came from China, if you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Funny, someone texted us to say, great interview. says, I gave my daughter my parents' old 1979 furniture stereo radio cabinet. Now my 15-year-old daughter only buys vinyl. An old artist or even new ones like Bruno Mars. She went out and bought Bruno Mars on vinyl. Because now this 15-year-old has this appreciation for it. That's crazy. Well, that's the thing that's so exciting. I mean, it's a whole new generation of people that are sort of rediscovering vinyl. You know, it's not like it ever really went away, but they just never really knew about it. And now they're, I hear a lot of younger people calling it vinyls. You know, oh, we're going to trade vinyls like it's this new thing. Well, but and it's funny, know. right, because no, no one's longing for the cassette tape to come back, right? <laughs> well, oddly enough, I think there is a little bit of that going on. I mean, even I was shocked by that, but there actually are places now that, like, yeah, you can get some cassettes. I think it's almost maybe more of a novelty thing for the bands yeah. to have yeah, that well, at their merch yeah, table. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think Arkells did a release on cassette. Last year or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. There's definitely a few places that you can get them. Uh, we're well, I remember, yeah, they did the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. I think they released like a thousand oh, cassette yeah. tapes because in the movie he's got this this old cassette tape that he listens to. That that was more a tie-in with the movie. I don't think it was a, a particular fondness for the, the format. I got so, you. Yeah, the best thing about cassette tapes while we're at it, and this isn't to disparage the, the great work you're doing, Dean, but where cassettes have the edge is that uh, uh, the sound quality is Probably the greatest ever captured, and they're impossible to record over unless you have some scotch tape. <laughs> <laughs> like, how many millions of times did I do that as a kid? You know, you're just like, oh, yeah, you know, throw the throw the duct tape over the holes, and boom, yeah. you're ready to yeah. go, right? <laughs> but then you're wrecking your dad's, like, Nana Muscuri cassette. I'm like, ah, nobody can seriously like <laughs> Nana Muscuri. Let's get some let's get some Bon Jovi on here. Hey, yeah. Dean, can you riddle me this? What's with the big hole in the middle of 45? Why didn't we, couldn't we just have the small hole in both records? Oh, I actually can riddle you that. Uh, I had to discover that myself. First of all, interesting factoid, uh, the machine that actually does that is called a dinker. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me, man. Just, just report the facts. You. Exactly. i got to Google that before this interview is allowed to end, but continue, so please. A, I'd like to know. So we've got a seven-inch record press at the shop, and it's got a dinker on it, and it punches out those holes. And oddly enough, the whole reason for that was for jukeboxes in the 50s. Oh, Okay. Because you'd be loading up those jukeboxes with your 45s, right? And yeah. then that arm would come and pick them up and drop them on there. So they had that extra big hole. So I think okay. it just made it um, easier. I've, I found a YouTube video that might v validate the claim made by Dean Reed here. Let's see what we get here. Well, I know it as a dinker. I didn't invent it. <laughs> What's that? You didn't... I just I just know it as a dinker. That's what they told me, man. I don't know if it's true or not. Okay, well we'll we'll investigate this a little bit further. Well, oh, by the way, somebody yeah. texted us say Donald Trump was the one who named it. Tight. <laughs> <laughs> so that clears it up. We appreciate that. Hey, Dean, it was great to catch up, man. All the best in the new year. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate hey, thanks it. Thanks a lot. That's Dean Reed. He's the commanding officer of Canada Boy Vinyl.
cool store, mm-hmm. right? So I went out and, and bought all this this equipment from some places that were shutting down. I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's enough of a market for this. Uh, people want to get vinyl. They want to get vinyl made, and turns out they do. So it's uh, it's still out there. People got an appreciation for it, and all the people texting us. This this guy says, awesome interview. Just found four Beatles 45s for 25 cents each at a secondhand store wow. yesterday in Medicine Hat. That's a rush you don't get from iTunes. Yeah, that, certainly that excitement of, you know, you buy the record, you got it in your hands, you can't wait to get home to listen to it. Yeah, I, I think, you, you know, you lose some of that. Yeah, it's kind of the difference between the thrill you get waiting in line to watch Star Wars and the thrill you got renting the movie. <laughs> if that makes <laughs> sense, right? Hey, let's take a break right here. We'll investigate this uh, oddly named machine when we come back. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away you roam. I'm just soaking that in. Yeah, man. That's nice. When you pine for the sunshine. It's, uh, of a Michael Bublé, isn't it? I think so. That's great. Um. <laughs> By the way, is anyone else creeped out when Michael Bublé sings Santa Baby, but he sings Santa Daddy? What? Yeah, you've not heard that one? Can you find that, Tim? Do you is, that, is that a real thing? We make out a mission? Okay, so Tim's going to get the YouTube channel working there. Uh, okay, so our, our previous guest, Dean Reed, commanding officer at Cannonboy Vinyl, claimed that the machine that punches a hole in the middle of a 45 is called a dinker. And we found this video. Here we have the dinker. Base and dink cutting tool. Okay. So it gets worse. Uh, it's <laughs> the, the name of the apparatus isn't the worst part about the process. There's also a tool that is uh, inappropriately named. Oh but it is goodness. confirmed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to find that, Tim? He's working on it? Yeah, okay. Oh, you got it? Yeah, fire it up there. Let's... Uh... Let's get all creeped out. But this is a great song. Slip Rolex under the tree for me. I've been an awful good guy. Santa Buddy. El down it's the Santa Buddy. Yeah. So he sings Santa. He, he ta- changes Santa Baby several times. But at one point in the song, he goes, Santa Daddy. And it's like, <laughs> what? That's weird. Anyway. <laughs> good, great song. Uh, wow. Because, you know, it was interesting. I was reading an article about Baby It's Cold Outside. Right. And what was interesting is when that song first came out, it wasn't really seen as controversial, but other songs like Santa Baby and uh, or Mommy Kiss Santa Claus Under the Christmas Tree, those were more controversial because there seemed to be a little more explicit, like, you know, you're introducing romance into into Christmas. Mm-hmm. Whereas Baby It's Cold Outside was just seen more as like, you know, flirting between a couple. And now, you know, in, in 2015, we view it differently. It's not as though people are, are adverse to uh, the holidays getting romantic. It's now all about uh, this whole question of consent and no means no and, mm-hmm. and these issues. So here's the update, which we're going to press to vinyl. Baby It's Cold Outside. Updated for the year 2014. That's obviously last year. Last year, I was <laughs> thinking. <laughs> it's uh, me and Roger singing this uh, lovely song, Baby It's Cold Outside, the updated version for this year. Oh, 
Okay, then go. Got to go away. Uh, you're free to go. This evening has been so very nice. I agree, the stakes were lovely. My mother will start to worry. Here's my telephone, you can call her. I imagine your mother would tell your dad you're fine. As I said, free to go. Well, then you'll have to stay now. Your neighbors are nosy people, clearly. It's alcohol. You ordered an alcoholic beverage. That's what's in it. Uh-huh. What? You're not under a spell. You're here of your own volition. I'm telling you, if you want to go, there's taxis out front. You can leave. You don't. I'm. You don't need permission. I'm not. I'm not holding you against your will. You can call your mom. Maybe she'll come get you. That's fine. Well, that, that part's actually true. It is quite cold outside. What's that? You gotta sing the the last part where both sing. Oh, you wanna, you get full duet at that yeah. point there. Nice. And was that uh, our producer Andrew? Was that the uh, other voice there? I think I might have been Dinah Shore. I'm not who sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been anyone, really. Could have been. Uh, nice. Tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We're so delighted. Santa Claus is going to be in studio with us. Nine seven four eight two five five. Your sons and daughters, your nieces and nephews, your grandkids. Uh, get them on the phone. Uh, it's a it's a really really fun day for all of us, and we'd love to have you take part in it. Uh, regular phone number nine seven four eight two five five.